0: Uh, Tonight's Bible reading is uh, 1 Samuel 21, uh, starting at verse 1. It'll be up on the screen if you've got a Bible. It'd be great to have it out in front of you. David went to Nob to Ahimelech the priest. Ahimelech trembled when he met him and asked, Why are you alone? Why is no one with you? David answered Ahimelech the priest, The king sent me on a mission and said to me, No one is to know anything about the mission I am sending you on. As for my men, I have told them to meet me at a certain place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread, or whatever you can find. But the priest answered David, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, there is some consecrated bread here, provided the men have kept themselves from women. David replied, Indeed, women have been kept from us, as usual, whenever I set out. The men's bodies are holy, uh, even on missions that are not holy. How much more so today? So the priest gave him the consecrated bread, since there was no bread there except the bread of the presence that had been removed from before the Lord and replaced by hot bread on the day, it was taken away. Now one of Saul's servants was there that day, detained before the Lord. He was Doeg the Edomite, Saul's chief shepherd. David asked Ahimelech, Don't you have a spear or sword here? I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon because the king's mission was urgent. The priest replied, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, is here. It is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want it, take it. There is no sword here but that one. David said, There is none like it. Give it to me. That day David fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, Isn't this David, the king of the land? Isn't he the one they sing about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. David took these words to heart, and was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. So he pretended to be insane in their presence, and while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate, and letting saliva run down his beard. Akish said to his servants, look at this man, he is insane. Why bring him to me? Am I so short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house?
1: Cool, how good was that last statement of the king there? Haven't I got enough madmen? (laughs) that's That's a classic. Let's begin by prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening and we thank you for this word that uh, seems so obscure and speaks about events so long ago. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would show us how your eternal word can speak to us through even these strange and uh, obscure passages. We pray tonight, Lord God, that you would give us the right perspective that we should have in our life. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to do something a bit different tonight and uh, I want to start the sermon with a psalm. So if you've got a Bible open, you might like to turn to Psalm 73. I'm going to read some of the sections out of that. It's going to come up on the screen, I think, as well. Psalm 73. I love seeing this young crew up the front with their Bibles and their notebooks. You guys remind me of one Timothy when Paul says you should be an example to the rest of us. Excellent. Except for Vinny, he's pretending to hold a Bible open with his two hands, which is also, also awesome, Vinny. Well, he's pretending to write on his head now. All right, Psalm 73. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet almost slipped. I had almost lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now, that Psalm is written by a man who has lost his perspective. He's actually a a God-fearing man, but in the moment, he's actually forgotten what it's like to follow God. Now, the author of this psalm is Ashaf, who was director of music in the temple worship during the period of King David. Now, I would like to suggest that King David probably listened to this psalm. And actually, as he listened to this psalm, He may or may not have actually thought of the story that you've heard tonight, because what you see in the psalm is the story of a godly person who has lost his perspective. And as he's lost his perspective as a godly man, he's actually starting to think, maybe the people in the world are more successful than godly people, maybe I need to be like them, or maybe I need to actually be fearful of the people in the world and try and copy the people in the world. Now, the psalmist goes on and says, I won't read the whole psalm, but down in 17, he says, till I entered the sanctuary of God and then I understood their final destiny. So in verses 1 to 3, you get this godly person who has nearly lost their foothold. See that in verse 2? He almost slips because he's tempted to start thinking that people in the world actually are more successful than people in the church. Now, that, was, that would be quite a devastating slip. Has anyone watched the TV show alone? Has anyone seen those episodes on SBS? I love the show. Lou and I just watched the sixth season, uh, this week actually, and it was really interesting because I thought of this psalm while I was watching that show, because there's a part of the show, they're in Alaska, and the whole of the lake freezes over, and they've got to still go and fish through the ice, right? Some people are nodding, and that, the, the danger is, what if you stand on some thin ice and fall into the water? In 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 the Arctic, where they're like eight hours away from anyone coming to save them, you you would die. So the fascinating thing about the show is that one of the guys goes, "You make one slip and you're dead. You'll die." Now that's heavy reality TV show. Like it's it's not really Big Brother or something like that. Like this this is like life and death. Well, this is what the Psalmist is saying. Like this is life and death for me because if I lose my spiritual perspective, if I slip and start becoming worldly because I think that maybe God's not as powerful as I thought he was and maybe I want more from life than God could offer and I slip, then I might actually uh, lose my eternal salvation. However, the good news is in Psalm 73, uh, verse 17, the guy goes on, he says, I nearly slipped and I nearly lost my foothold till I entered the sanctuary of God and then I understood their final destiny and by inference, my final destiny. So what he realised was his eternal perspective had slipped. Now, the reason I want to bring our attention to that today is because I think as Christians, we can have our eternal perspective slip. Uh, even the best of us, we can actually be like the psalmist here. Verse 22, he says, when he, when he realises he goes into the sanctuary, now presumably that's into the temple, and he goes into the temple and he's like, oh, actually... I forgot how big God is, I forgot how great he is. But now, oh, I've got to get back and, and you know, get off the ice, so to speak. Uh, when he realises that he nearly slipped, in verse 22, he repents. I was senseless and ignorant, I was a brute beast before you. What that's saying is, I felt like I was I was just like crazy, like I was like a beast. I was just thinking with my instincts. I'd stopped thinking of my eternal perspective. See, the thing that sets human beings apart from the the, the rest of the the animal kingdom, is that we have a spirit and our spirit is designed to be in in relationship with God. And so when you forget your eternal perspective, it's like you become a beast. It's like you're not acting spiritually. Does that make sense? So a spiritual person who's forgot what being spiritual is all about. Anyway, he repents, verse 23, yet I am always with you, you hold me by your right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterwards you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? The earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is my strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. And I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. What's really beautiful about that is he was about to slip, but the reason he didn't slip was because God caught him. That's what the psalmist is saying. Left to my own devices, I might have fallen through the ice, into the water and died. I might have not been able to get back to where I was before. So if you lose your perspective, you can get lost. And when you get lost, you can't find your way back sometimes. But the good news is that God is always with him. God's not some distant observer of the psalmist's life. He's right there with him. So he slips on the ice and God grabs him. says, so, oh, hang on, hang on, bucko. You're about to lose your perspective. I'm going to help you to find it again. Come back into the sanctuary Come back and, and be with me and remember, and then when you 've been there, I think that I think an equivalent I 'm going to draw a really long bow an equivalent would be during the week, you completely forget about God, and you get so immersed in some exciting thing you 're doing or some problem that you 've got that you lose your perspective, and you start living as a non-Christian, even though you 're a Christian, you start making decisions that aren 't great, you start compromising on your identity and on your beliefs but God's right there with you. And so when you happen to walk into the door at church, it's not like church is something special, but as you sit down and you listen to the word of God again, something in your head goes, oh my goodness, what was I thinking? I almost slipped, I almost forgot. But now I'm here again, I remember God. Well, why are we talking about Psalm 73 when we're talking about the story of David today? Well, because what I think is, I actually think David's story is an application of Psalm 73. You see, David, the hero of the Battle of Elah, the conqueror of Goliath, has actually been chased out of Israel by Saul. He's on the run. He is desperate to stay alive because Saul is trying to kill him. And so he is going to compromise who he is to keep himself safe. In chapter 21, we read that David is fleeing from Saul and he arrives at Nob, one of the more... um, Funnier named cities in Israel. I think it might be an Australian city. They've probably got a pub. And he meets he meets the priest there, and David, that big thing he talked about, that he's on a secret mission from Saul, that's all a lie. He's lying to the priest. Now, why is he lying to the priest? Because he's running in fear of Saul. He's scared that he's gonna get caught and killed. And so he says to the, the, the priest, I'm, I'm actually sent on a secret mission from Saul. So obviously the priest's living in the boondocks. He doesn't know. Nob's not actually like, you know, capital city of Israel. It's out there. And so the priest probably hasn't heard that Saul's trying to kill David. And so David's like on the run. He's like, it's like, it's like an equivalent of stealing a car at a service station in, in Gilgandra on your way to Bawarana. It's kind of like that. You run out of petrol and the police are on your tail and they've got your number plate, so you just you nick someone else's car. That's basically what David's going to do right now. He, he just comes into this, this, uh, this, this priest and he says, I need bread. Now, the heavy deal about this is in his flight asking for bread, David himself knows probably that the priest is only going to have consecrated bread. Now, consecrated bread is bread that's only for the priest. It's not for anybody else. And yet, David says, I want the consecrated bread. And so, in his desperation, in chapter 21, verses 1 to 15, he is deceptive. Now, before you judge him too much, I want to ask you the question, what would you do if you were running for your life? I mean, I've told lies to get out of less of a problem. Have you ever told a lie to get out of a problem? Yeah, yeah. Yeah? Yeah? I, I can't hear anybody. Have you told a lie to get out of a problem? Is there only one or two of us that have told a lie to get out of a problem? Never. Never. <laughs> Except for Toby, he's never lied. I'll ask Joy and Christine that later on. I've told lies to get out of problems. I'm in year 10, year 11 actually, I'm in year 11 and I wanted to go to the Die Straits Brothers in Arms concert and I had three-unit homework to do before I could go to the concert. I had tickets, Brothers in Arms, anyone here go to the Brothers in Arms concert in 1986? Come on, surely you did. I'll talk to you later about that. Anyway, my teacher, I don't know why I actually did this, but my teacher said, if you guys can all understand, everyone was going, right? But he said, there's an exam tomorrow. This is the 80s, this is how hard it was to live in the 80s, teenagers. Like, if you think it's hard, you listen to this story. My maths teacher, Mr Hestelay, said, if you can all answer all these questions I give you this afternoon, you can go to the, the uh, concert tonight. If you can't, you can't go to the concert. Can you imagine a teacher telling you not to go to a concert? Anyway, so I had no idea what the answers to these questions were. And what i noticed in year 11 was that when the teacher asked you a question, if you put your hand up straight away, it was showing that you were confident, and he often didn't ask the people who put their hands up straight away. He usually looked for the people like me who went, Oh, maybe I know the answer to that question. Well, this day, it was Wednesday, I remember, because the concert was on a Wednesday night. That's my memory. If it's constructed, Tim, you can tell me later. Teacher asked question, Stu Crawshaw, boom, yeah, I know the answer. And I looked around the room and nobody else put their hand up. <laughs> Mr. Hesterlo goes, Crawshaw, what's the answer? And, and before I had a chance to say anything, he said, you don't even know the answer, do you? <laughs> I lied. Yes, I do know the answer. Because inside, I wanted to go to the Die Straits concert more than anything in the whole world, even more than tw- going to a one-day cricket match, even more than that, which is the thing I used to do back in the day, hey? I mean, Dennis Lilly, I'm talking Alan Border. All those boys. Anyway, this was even better than seeing Booney play cricket. I'm telling you, this is big, right? So here I am, hand up, lying my heart out. I went red because I don't have a great complexion and people with fair skin find it quite difficult to hide their emotions. And I'm red and with my hand up and trying to lie my way through it. And Mr Hesselow said, you can't go to the concert tonight. You need to stay home and study. I didn't get out of trouble. I actually got caught. Now, how often do you get caught? Are you a great liar and you never get caught? I reckon everyone gets caught sooner or later, right? Well, this is a story of someone getting caught. Because the priest believes David. He gives him the, the bread that he's not supposed to take. He gives him the sword because David's on the run and he's, he's basically nicking the car from the service station right now because he hasn't even got a sword. So he takes Goliath's sword, which is interesting because Goliath's sword is the sword that, G, that David himself captured when he killed Goliath. And remember the story, he cut Goliath's head off with Goliath's own sword. So when David says in the story, yeah, that's a good sword... I'll take that. It's because that was the sword he cut Goliath's head off with. But how far has David fallen from the great hero? Remember the story of the battle with Goliath? He's presented as the fearless David who has the right perspective. He's got the right perspective because he's following God so he doesn't fear anything and now he fears Saul, he's lost his perspective. He's human, he's not perfect and he's taking the sword and I think as readers we're meant to go, oh that's Interesting that he's stealing the sword of the man that he defeated, he's fallen a long way. So he takes the sword and he keeps on the run, but then he goes to hide in the Philistine city of Gath. And while he's there, word, rumours spread. David's here. King David's in the city of Gath. Now he's gone from out of the frying pan into the fire. He's in the fire now because Achish in verse 11 goes isn't this david the king of the land isn't he the one that the israelites sing about saul has slain his thousands and david his tens of thousands i want to say tonight that's kind of like the first tiktok <laughs> it was such a catchy tune that we, even without the internet it spread all the way to philistine You know the song that Saul hated in the story when he threw the spear at David because he was jealous? How dare the people sing that David kills tens of thousands and only kill thousands? Well, this king's like, whoa, the 10,000 dudes here. This is not cool. We need to arrest this guy and kill him. What does David do? Well, he pretends to be crazy. He dribbles. Now, I just want to say, if I fall asleep at work on my desk and put my head, you know, you know those little cheeky naps you have in the afternoon, put your head down a little bit, do you ever do that? few people, no? Do you ever get a little bit of dribble come down your down your mouth when you wake up? Have you ever had one of them? Or have you woken up for, I don't know why it doesn't happen at night to me, but it happens during the day, I don't know why, because I wake up and in the morning, my pillow's fine, but I could have a cheeky sleep, granite nap in the afternoon, I've got dribble on my pillow might be just me it's embarrassing that's why you're all feeling awkward the pastor's talking about dribbling king david does it on purpose to get out of trouble now if i asked you the same question that i asked you before about how many people lie how many of you dribbled to get out of something i reckon none of us have done that i think that's beneath all of us it's beneath anybody especially a king who is going to be the king of israel he's lost perspective He's a 73, a Psalm 73 man. He's slipped. He's slipped. And so he pretends to be insane and Akish says, look at this bloke. He's insane, verse 14. Why did you bring him to me? I've already got enough mad people around here, spoken like a true leader. Let's compare David, just in case you think this might be a one-off, let's compare him to another hero of the Bible. In your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 26, verse 69 to 75. We're going to look at another hero of the faith, Peter. He's another one who slips. He's another guy who loses his perspective. He loses his eternal perspective and he thinks that he has to lie to, get, to make sure that he's safe. In verse 69, now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. You also with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway and another servant girl saw him and he said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. Are you picking up the story yet? It's quite famous. It's when Jesus was about to be executed the day after and Peter was following at a distance. He's trying to find out what's going on but not wanting to get too close because he's scared of being killed himself. And then when he's spied like David was at Gath, he does the same thing as David. He lies. But he does it three times, not just once. He he said again, with an oath, I don't know the man. After a little while those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are the one. Your accent gives you away. He's got a Galilean accent and he's in Jerusalem. Then he began to call down curses and he swore at them. I don't know the man. Immediately the rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken, "Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times." And he went outside and he whipped. He wept bitterly. The first denial, verse 69 to 70, the second denial, verse 71 to 72, the third denial, verse 73 to 74. Peter denies Jesus three times because he lost his perspective. Now if Peter had a proper perspective, he would have trusted that he didn't have to lie to get himself out of trouble and that he had to rely on God to keep him safe. And the great news about David and Peter is even though both of these men slip, they're like the contestant in Alone who might slip on the ice but have someone there to catch them. This is the most important part of the sermon tonight. You see, if you don't stop reading it chapter 21 in 1 Samuel and you keep going to 24 and 26 you see a great reversal you see a Psalm 73 man in the beginning of Psalm 73 the author says I slipped and I nearly lost it I nearly lost everything but God was there to pick me up when I went into the sanctuary I realized what I'd just done and I realized and I got my perspective back Why does Peter go out and weep bitterly? Because he realises that he's done the wrong thing. David himself also is different to the first king Saul because he repents as well. And now we see, if we fast forward to chapter 24, that by the time David, who's still on the run, by the way, gets to chapter 24, he's got his perspective back and he doesn't fear anymore. We pick up the story in chapter 24 where David is in a cave hiding from Saul and the most amazing thing happens. David's being pursued by Saul, who wants to kill him, and then Saul unknowingly enters the very cave that David and his men are hiding in, and he needs to go to the toilet. So Saul is going to the toilet, which is a bit ignominious, and David has an opportunity to kill Saul. Have a look at verse 4 of chapter 24. Then the men said, This day... The Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give you an enemy into your hands, you deal with him as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off the corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, David's conscience was stricken for having cut off the corner of his robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid it that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is anointed by the Lord. Isn't this a wonderful story? Here's a normal person who slipped and lied to get out of trouble, who dribbled in his own beard so that he didn't get executed. And now when he's presented in the next couple of chapters, in chapter 24, with an opportunity to kill the man who's trying to kill him, he doesn't act. He doesn't kill him. He does do something a bit cheeky, goes over really quietly like a ninja and cuts off a little piece of uh, the, guy's, the guy's shirt while he's come to the toilet. <laughs> Never heard anything like that before. Actually, that's the only time I've ever heard that happen. In all my life, I've never had anything cut off me while I'm going to the toilet. No piece of clothing. Never heard of anybody else having that problem. Never heard of anyone doing that to anybody. This, I think, could actually be one of those instances in the Bible that could be quite unique. This is a unique opportunity for someone to kill their enemy when their back is turned. And David has his senses about him. He doesn't kill him because he has the right perspective. He says, it's not my job to kill this man. And in fact, God will punish me for killing this man. Now, the irony of this is that in 2 Samuel, when we pick up the story next year in 2 Samuel, we're going to see David on the throne and his own son hates him. When David is king, Absalom actually has a rebellion to try and kill David and overthrow the throne. And the result of Absalom's sin of trying to take down the Holy One of God is he himself is killed. So David has got the right perspective and he saves himself from judgment here. You see that? And that's important to us because we might not be being chased by an enemy to be killed, but we're faced with the decision in the cave almost every day. Do I actually act according to my integrity and act as a Christian or do I try and take a shortcut? We are tempted to slip. David's men were tempted to slip. They're saying, kill him. And when David only cuts off part of his cloak, he feels so bad about it that he says to the men, I can't believe I just did that. Lord forbid that I should do such a thing. How could I do that? I think I'm looking at a very soft-hearted person right now. The good news for us is when we slip and we become hard-hearted and we lose our perspective and we forget what it is to be a Christian, we can get it back again. The reason is because God hasn't gone anywhere, even if we do. God never loses his footing, even if we lose our footing. Now, that's not just a one-off. We see this happen again in chapter 26. If you turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel 26, you get another single opportunity for David to kill Saul, to take his life. And you're kind of by this stage going, David, just kill the guy. Just take him out. You know, I, I, I don't know if you watch action movies, I like action movies, particularly Die Hard. Continues to be the greatest action series of all time. I think I've told this congregation might not be. I might have been Miranda last week, but I've bought Lou an advent calendar of the dude fallen off the building. What's the guy's name? What's his name? Huh? Huh? Hans Gruber. Huh? I can't remember his name. It doesn't matter because he's just a legend. In Die Hard, Hans Gruber is the baddest bad guy that's ever been in a movie. And he almost kills Bruce Willis so many times and Bruce Willis is there and he takes him out and Hans Gruber's on top of the tower and I can't remember what he does, what is it, did he kick him or something or does he just slip, I can't remember, but anyway, Hans Gruber, the best ending of a movie ever, Hans Gruber falling ah! and the camera's looking at him as he falls down. Apparently, the guy actually was terrified shooting that scene because the, they didn't tell him he was going to have to fall so far and they deliberately didn't tell him how far he had to fall so they could get a good look on his face when he fell. So it's, it's actually what makes the movie a classic. If you haven't watched it, best Christmas movie you can see. Hans Gruber on our, on our, on our, uh, under our TV is going to fall day by day down the building until it gets to the end. It's going to be great. We, we're saturated with this stuff, aren't we, in our culture? Particularly in 80s movies, it was like the bad guy couldn't just die or go away or get in a plane and get sent to prison. They had to die a horrible death. And you want Saul to cop it because he's so bad. Surely David can just spear the guy right now. Look what happens. Abishai said to David, they're in a battle, right? And there's a chance that he can kill Saul. Today God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. I won't strike him twice. This is brutal. You know, one of the reasons I believe the Bible is it's so honest. You can just hear someone saying that horrible thing. I won't hit him twice. I'll just put this spear right through his cranium. But David said, don't destroy him. Who can lay hands on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? He's got perspective again. Isn't it important to have the right perspective? Because the right perspective helps you to make the right moral decisions in your life that are going to lead to prosperity and not your own destruction. See, David says here, if I strike down Saul, I will not be guiltless. I will be punished for that. But yet, thinking as a human, here's this guy who chased me. I had to go through the dignity of dribbling down my own beard. I can just get this bloke, I don't, I don't even have to do it, I can get a bishy to go and stick the spear in his head. But David says, no. How does he get such a perspective? I would like to say because of Psalm 73, he's been in the sanctuary. Now, I'd like to present tonight that being in the sanctuary is not just going to church, it's not just going to the temple, it's actually a, having a daily relationship with the Lord. To have a perspective, you need to work on it yourself. You can't just hope that coming to church every now and again is going to give you perspective. Now, in 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 1 to 6, Peter says that the Holy Spirit is sanctifying you to make you more like Christ Jesus. So, in other words, the Holy Spirit is more interested in your holiness than even you are. The challenge in 1 Peter from Peter is work on your holiness with the Holy Spirit. In other words, God is with you always, ready to pick you up if you slip on the ice, but you, you, you need to work with him on that as well. In the alone show, the guy did, didn't just sort of risk it to go out on the ice, he made some ice shoes. Apparently they're Native American shoes where you get some really long twigs, sticks, tie them together, kind of like a snowshoe, but the purpose of these ice shoes is to distribute your weight perfectly over the ice to lessen the possibility of slipping. And even though this person in this show was starving to death and really needed to fish and really needed to get those fish, he spent a whole day making these shoes. He had perspective. He knew that if he didn't make those shoes, the mistake of going out on the ice with no shoes might kill him. The Lord, this is in chapter 26, verse 23 to 24, the Lord rewards anyone for their righteousness and their faithfulness. This is what David says. The Lord delivered you into my hands today, but I would not lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. As surely as I valued your life today, so may the Lord value my life and deliver me from all my trouble. That is perspective. You don't just do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. You do it because it pleases the Lord and because he will save you. And so, if you're in the sanctuary every day, I would argue something like this. Sometimes I get criticised for what I'm about to say now because it's a bit boring. But let me say it one more time. When you wake up in the morning, is the first thing you do before your feet hit the ground, do you say, Thank you, Lord, you've given me a fresh start today? You've given me another fresh start. Yesterday is gone. And today, I can have a fresh start at attempting to live for you instead of myself today. I didn't get it perfect yesterday. I blew it a few times. I slipped. But today, I want to put my snowshoes on and I want to go out onto the ice with you. And I want to give it another go today. Is that the first thing you do every day? Because I think that's like being in the sanctuary. Going to the sanctuary and getting perspective before you start the day means you're already thoughtful about how you're going to respond to life's challenges, which are going to be indiscriminate and hard to know what's going to happen. If you're in a fight uh, with someone who's arguing at you and getting really angry and you're really tempted to yell back, you can get perspective and say, I don't have to spear this person. I don't know what's going on for this person that they're so angry. I'm going to protect myself. I'm not going to let this person hurt me but I know in eternity I'm safe. I trust in God. And can I say that if you do that in the morning, try and add to that a bit of scripture. Get a bit of focus. We've been saying all this year, version is a great way to read the Bible every day because they throw up a little verse every day on your widget, on your phone. And if you're like me and you're tempted to look at the phone first thing in the morning, if you put your widget on the front screen... Not only will you have prayed for the fresh start with the Lord today, you'll also have a verse to help encourage you. Think of one verse a day. Now, you might be the kind of person that likes to read big slabs of Scripture every day. That's getting rarer, can I say? Don't knock yourself about if you don't read big slabs of Scripture every day. All you need is one idea from God a day. Keep it simple. It's easier to apply. And it's less guilt-inducing. And if you just read something on your phone, trust in the Lord always or rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Okay, I might try that today. It's raining and I miss my bus. Lord, thanks for the rain. I rejoice I still have you even though I miss the bus. Then a car drives past and spreads water all over you. I need a new pair of jeans anyway. I might go into, into, into the city when I get off the train, go into a shop and buy myself some new jeans. I rejoice in you, Lord. I don't know, I'm just having a bit of fun. But can you see how perspective can change the little problems in your life? May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. Can you speak like that today? If you can, you have perspective. If you can't, spend some more time in the sanctuary. It's a wonderful model. I'm going to finish off by telling one more story from Peter. It's another example of Peter losing his perspective. So if you're feeling a bit guilty that sometimes you don't think you have enough perspective, think of Peter. He seems to lose perspective all the time. Matthew 26, verses 69 to 75. I'm going to leave you with this. Now, Peter was sitting out in the courtyard. Oh, hang on. No, I've gone to the wrong part of my notes. Here we go. This is better. Sorry if you're flicking through. Matthew 14, 22 to 23. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. And while he dismissed the crowd, he had dismissed them, he went up onto the mountainside to pray. Later that night, he was alone. And then the story goes on and says this. The boys go out in a boat and Jesus meets them. And Peter gets out of the boat and nearly drowns. When he takes his eyes off Jesus, start off with his walk on the water the second time he falls, he nearly falls into the water. But when he nearly falls in the water, Jesus grabs him and says, don't worry. So what I want to leave you with tonight is, even today, you might be thinking, man, I feel like God's kind of touched my heart a bit. I think I'm a bit of a Psalm 73 girl or a Psalm 73 boy today. I lose perspective a bit too often. I've got to get back in the sanctuary a bit. It's good to think like that. But at the end of the day, remember this even when you don't think like that, Jesus still gets you. Have you ever thought of that? The Holy Spirit is sanctifying you to be like Jesus, whether you work with him or not. So if you are in Christ and you're a follower of Jesus, even when you lose perspective in life, which you will do regularly at numbers of different times, you might think you're like a beast, like the person in the Psalms. Oh, I can't believe I lose perspective. That's terrible. But remember what the Psalmist ended with, which David found and which Peter ended up finding. And that was that where we are weak, Jesus is strong. Where we are weak, Jesus is strong. You need to have Jesus's perspective in that he says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, I will abide in you. So take that to heart tonight, be encouraged, work with the Holy Spirit as he helps you to be more like Jesus. But please try and keep your perspective. Amen.